0: He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste, because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiplied greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish." Those are verses 33 to 38 of Psalm 107, verses 33 to 43 of which, along with Psalm 108, are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, February the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along this Saturday. uh, We are looking, continuing our look at Isaiah's prophecy. We're getting towards the end of that book. Um, So we've got chapter 66 today, the first six verses there. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 6 to 21. We skipped the first six verses of uh, chapter 6, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, it's, it's talking about people preaching a different gospel. Um, and then we're in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. Oh, the Lord's speaking again. This is a, a just straight from the throne. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What's the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? So he's speaking about what kind of temple you would build. And this question can be answered in multiple ways. And he's going to give some of the response to it. And I'm going to give you some thoughts from some uh, one of the most respected Jewish scholars of all time on this. So he says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Remember when David um, got it in his head, and his heart, to build a temple for the Lord. And so he declared it to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan's initial response was, go for it. And then overnight, the Lord appeared to him and gave him a word and said, No, I don't want David to build my temple. It's not a rebuke of David. It was that there's other jobs for you to do, David. That The the man of peace, Solomon, your son, will be the one to build my temple. You will always have a descendant to sit upon the throne, however. So God wasn't rebuking David. He was just saying, Nope, you're the wrong guy to do that. Your Your son Solomon is the one who will have the job of building the temple. And so in this, the Lord says, you know, I don't need anybody to do anything for me. I'm perfectly capable of handling all things myself. It all belongs to me anyway. But this is the one I'm going to be looking to, one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now, these words are uh, humble and contrite in spirit are are typical in prophetic literature, and typically, even more typically in Isaiah's Prophecy. And so, what is it that God's looking for, right? I mean, this is what he says again and again. It's those with a humble and contrite heart, those who are quick to repent of sin, those who bow the knee before him and tremble at the word. And what it means to tremble at the word is to say, you know, I have to come to this with the reality that a lot of it's going to convict me of sin. It's not going to tell me how righteous I am, it's going to tell me how righteous God is. And that's the really important message of the word of god and the holiness of god is represented no more perfectly in the person of jesus christ this this is this holiness that that has love with it and so it, the holiness can't be violated for the sake of love though love doesn't overlook sin love recognizes that sin is a hideous thing and it requires atonement and so the only atonement for sin though is jesus Otherwise, you just have to keep re-sacrificing, and that's kind of where we're headed next. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. So slaughtering an ox is an acceptable sacrifice. Killing a man is a completely unacceptable thing to do. It's sin. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Again, it's that same kind of comparison. This is, it's certainly wrong to do this second thing. So what he's saying is is if you're sacrificing you know, if you're just coming up here and making sacrifices, that is no more acceptable to me than, than these hideous things that are listed. Secondly, he presents a grain offering like he, one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. In other words, they, they're not just making sacrifices is not the goal here. You know, cause, and, and it's sort of what Paul says in then, are you going to deal with so much grace that you let sin abound in you know, order that grace may abound more? And so you, you know, it, the, the more prosperity was there, the easier it was just to, to go ahead and say, well, I can do this. Let's see, can I afford to sin this way? What's the penalty for that? Oh, it's that sacrifice. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So let's go ahead and do this. So that's kind of the way it is. There's some commentators who look at this, though, and say, what kind of house you would build for me? And what's the place of my rest? And and what this what there there's some commentators will suggest he no longer wanted a place for sacrifices. He Yahweh no longer wanted a place for sacrifices. That's a hard thing to come to grips with, but um, and to even imagine. But Maimonides, who was a 12th century scholar, he, he was in Egypt when he died, but he had been in Spain and other places. The family had moved during Islamic um, pogroms. To safer places, even though they were well placed. And Maimonides was was not only a rabbi; he was also a um, a great uh, doctor. And so you'll see Maimonides' hospitals around in some places where where there are heavy concentrations of Orthodox Jews. And so Maimonides said that his belief. Now, this is he, he's a great teacher and one of the most well-respected teachers in all of Judaism. Um, but what he said was, is that, that he interprets this in such a way as to say, God no longer wanted a temple that had sacrifices. That was a vestige of an older religious system. And if he hadn't had that in the first place, then the Israelites wouldn't have looked like they had real religions. And so now, though, he, he's saying by the time of the second temple, a lot of that was outdated, that people weren't doing so much of that. And, and he doesn't believe that the, the third temple— would be a temple where sacrifices are done because he believed that that had been an outmoded expression of religious piety and so here god's saying look you know doing it the wrong way just doing it so that you can send more because you can afford to is not right i believe that's the better way to translate that or to to explain this at least he said these have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations and i don't think that means that they've they're worshiping as pagans, I think it it literally means that they're doing what they want and then they're doing the sacrifice as though they had repented when they didn't. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. And, And it's so easy to do that. And it's even easier when we just, you know, hey, Lord, forgive me for this, 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 this. You know, so dietrich Bonhoeffer who um who was killed by the Nazis um because of he joined the plot to to murder hitler um he ha had decided that the thing to do was to maintain true religion in the time of Hitler rather than be co-opted into the state church, which really owed its allegiance to Hitler. And so, what he did was um started a an underground seminary, which ended up getting broken up. But one of the things that he did for his seminarians was he required them to make confession one to another because he said that that it we gave ourselves a pass he he said, "I, I saw myself confessing the the most horrible things in my thought life and whatever that that i had i seemed to have real no real remorse for or, or the hideousness of how bad they were. and so he began to confess to another human being though, and suddenly. Just having to say that to another human being really put him in a posture of uh, of repentance. He saw how bad this was in a way that, that his prayer life wasn't doing. So he, so hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, you brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but it's they who will be put to shame. So he says, you people who, who are humble and meek, you get it right. I mean exactly what Jesus says in the uh, Sermon on the Mount he sets he, he sets his people in a place where you know that if you express those things in your life those things that he said are blessed um, then you're not mostly going to be treated as blessed people are going to look at you as though you're a little bit crazy and not quite right and so it, that, he said here yet yeah, no this is the, it, the way it actually works at the end times, and that's why people who say things like you're on the wrong side of history have no earthly idea what they're talking about. It's the dumbest thing anybody can say. Dumbest thing. Because here, it looks like these people are going to be the ones on the right side of history. But in reality, what God says is, nope, you got it wrong. Those are not the things that I value, and I'm the ultimate author of history. And it ends with the sound of an uproar from the city a sound from the temple the sound of the lord rendering recompense to his en- enemies and so i don't need your religious observances is what god says i don't need that I-, I need your hearts and i need your lives um in the gospel jesus is teaching in the temple again he says how can the scribes say that christ is the son of david David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how could he be his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. <clears throat> so they began to see that, that this, the Messiah is actually not the son of David. He is the son of the living God. And in his teaching, he said, "Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation." And I'm sorry, but I've been clergy, and I guess I are clergy at this moment, sort of. Um, but but I but I saw the peacock parades. <laughs> I've seen them a lot, and it's it's true. It's real. Um, there's, there are certainly those leaders who are humble and those leaders who are, who are not in it for some career moves and some gain, but there are those who, who are in it for the right reasons. And so Jesus is talking about those who are in it for the wrong reasons at this point. And then he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money, the treasury of the temple, by the way, putting money into the offering box, and many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he calls his disciples to him and said to him, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In other words, what she's done is she's gone all in on faith. She's, she's pushed in all her chips into the middle of the table and said, I'm all in, I'm trusting God." I believe in him so much, and I believe that, that this is going to go for his glory. Therefore, I'll put all that I have into that offering plate in order that, um, because of my trust in him. And, and that's the life he calls us to live. It's the life that he called the rich young ruler to live, is, is to sell everything you own and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. It's the life that these disciples have chosen. It's important for us to recognize that, that God wants us to go all in that he wants us to have that kind of faith and trust in him. Um, Everything we had comes from him to start with. Every single thing, every penny we've ever had comes from him. He gave us the ability to earn it. He gave us the possibilities and the potential. and He gave us the mind to uh, make the right choices and the good choices to make that money. And so we owe him everything already. He doesn't ask everybody to to put everything literally in but but we have to have that detachment at least where if he did say it that you that you really honestly could do it in the epistle Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world and so it's just the same point of the uh, widow going all in is just that you know if you've got godliness and contentment then then everything's okay. You don't, you don't have to, don't set your contentment in the things that you have. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And it's absolutely true. You know, I worked in the accounting kind of world and uh, the expert witness world, and and primarily looked at banking, banking things, and then business valuations, and but also divorce and and other stuff, and and you can see that that's it. Everybody's chasing that dollar, and everybody wants uh, either to be rich or to be seen as being rich and wealthy and having power and influence. And and the problem is is, is chasing after that. It's chasing after wealth can really absolutely wreck a person's life, and it can certainly drive them on the, uh, into moral dilemmas, let's say, more often than not. But as for you, O oh man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Pursue those things. In other words, set your mind on those things. Get your mind off this. In fact, flee these things, but set your mind on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, you stood before the crowd and you made the confession of what salvation is. It's, It's faith in the body and blood of Jesus, faith in the crucifixion as the atoning sacrifice for sin faith in the resurrection as the proof that that sacrifice had been offered and that's the confession that peter would have, or timothy would have made i charge you in the presence of god who gives life to all things and of christ jesus who in his testimony before pontius pilate made the good confession so now we've got this this idea of the good confession we've already seen it twice he he encourages peter or sorry i don't know why i keep saying peter he he, he encourages timothy to take hold of the eternal life that he was called about, which he made the good confession of in the presence of many witnesses. And then now he says, Jesus, before Pilate, made the good confession. And, and what was that good confession? It was that, that, are you the king of the Jews? Will you say that I am? My kingdom is not of this world. And so, if my kingdom is not of this world, then then my people shouldn't be of this world. They should be focused on and consumed by things that are not of this world. We shouldn't be consumed by the things of this world. We pass through those things, but we do them in other in order to gain those eternal riches. And so, the good confession is essentially a denial of the authority or the power that's inherent in a person place or thing in setting our minds and our allegiance completely on him you have no power over me that you were not given by my father who's in heaven you know it's it's that understanding of the world that good confession is that i know who ultimately is in charge i know who is sovereign over all things including you and i know that these other things are passing away so he made the good confession and then he says, to keep the commandment unstained, this is what he's supposed to do, Timothy is supposed to do, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, when which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. This is one of the things about Paul that, that truly is remarkable. Man, he, All he has to do is mention something about Jesus, and he will sometimes just go off in his own little reverie and praise, right? So keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. And then here he goes. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Uh, He just piles it up. He is so near to him, how much he loves Jesus and how much he reveres Jesus is so near to him that all he has to do is mention a couple of things, and then Paul is off to the races in worship, and that's the way we need to live. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so one of the things that that the complaint was always, especially um, in the Babylonian exile, about the Israelites was that they were consumed with making money. And and so all the prophets were were saying, yeah, you're very prosperous, but you're not doing the things the law requires. You're, you're getting this prosperity on the backs of the poor. You're getting this prosperity by, by ignoring the Sabbath year, by ignoring the Jubilee year. You're, you're, you're gaining this prosperity by bending the rules to suit your preferred desires. And, and we can talk more about that. Um, and sometimes I just shake my head at things. One of the things that you have to do, for instance, in, at Passover, is you have to get rid of all the leaven in your house. And so since I follow so many Jewish sources, one of the things that happens that I notice every year at Passover is that I'm kind of inundated with requests to purchase hummets, the, the, the leaven that people have in their houses. And, and as a Gentile, they can sell it to a Gentile because they're supposed to purge their house of these things. And so you, I get these requests to, to find a Gentile to, to buy the hummets. And so what what happens, though, the way it works, is that I give the money, I don't, but <laughs> I would give the money, and then they would segregate the the leaven out into a place in their house that they would call John's place. And so yes, there's old leaven in my house, but I don't own it. John does. And after Passover, the, the goal would be that I would give it back to them, and they would give my money to charity. Well, I think that's the kind of thing. <laughs> that God finds is an abomination. You're, you're keeping the letter of the law, but I wanted you to do more than keep the letter of the law. I really did want you to get rid of the old leaven. It's been corrupted. And so you need to get rid of it. But that that's the way I, one of the things that I see in ways of getting around the law while still fulfilling it. And it finally comes to the end of this and says, Oh Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge so the gnosis would be the secret knowledge really is what he's speaking about for by professing it some have swerved from the faith and that gnosis that that gnostic kind of knowledge that could be Kabbalah could be a lot of that it's the secret knowledge that's only to be had by some people um, and then it leads them astray because they get into all the numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, and then just, I mean, it just becomes, in my mind, an incomprehensible mess. And, and that's something that we as Christians need to sort of be aware of in our own faith walk, is is that, that are we following Jesus or have we started following the imaginations of our hearts or somebody else's heart who's led us down this path, and suddenly we've lost all sight of Jesus or why we do anything, and we're doing it for health and wealth, we're doing it for whatever, And we just need to be careful. We need to be careful and keep our hearts pure and unstained that truly the reason we're doing this is for Jesus' sake and and no other reason.